turn? <laughs> Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I'd like to thank Tim for filling in last week. He did a great job. It's a great message. Jamie, thank you for filling in for Cindy. Romans chapter 8. Last time, we, when we first got to Romans chapter 8, we went through the entire chapter, kind of scanned the landscape. And I want to warn you, I mean, I want to tell you, <laughs> we're going to pitch our tent here for a while. We're going to be here in Romans chapter 8, the greatest chapter of the greatest book of the Bible. And having surveyed the entire 8th chapter, we now return to the beginning of the chapter. Verse 1 is the theme not only of this chapter, but verse 1 is the theme of the entire Word of God. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now again, we must keep going back to chapter 7, because I believe this is a very unfortunate chapter break here, from 7 to 8. And if you go back, go with me back to chapter 7. Um, go back to verse... Um, go back to verse 15. Paul says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I want, if I do what I want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do evil, to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, warring against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. See how that all flows together. And so we, we have to remember, Paul has just uh, pointed out to us in chapter 7 what it's like to walk in the flesh, that, that we will find that nothing good dwells in us at all. Nothing in our flesh dwell, is good. And when Paul speaks of the flesh, he's speaking of that old nature, that old man that I was before I was saved. 
He said, there's nothing good in him and there is nothing good. And he goes on and says, what I want to do, I don't know how to do it. What I don't want to do, that's what I keep doing. He said, who's going to save me from this? Thank God for Jesus Christ, because in him, there is no, no condemnation to those who are in Christ. So verse one is at the heart of the gospel. No condemnation. Uh, Paul does not grow tired of speaking of the gospel. But how often we seem to grow tired of it. How often we seem to grow tired of hearing the wonderful news of what God has done for us. There are some today who feel that it is, is very wearisome, that, it's, that the gospel is boring. Um, I know a man who goes to a different denomination who told me, he says, you know, he said, I had to find me another church. And I said, why? And he said, well, the preacher kept preaching the same thing every Sunday. He just kept preaching the gospel. <laughs> he said, I'm saved. I don't need the gospel anymore. And I said, you need the gospel more now than you did before. But we find that, you know, Paul never grew tired of this. And, 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 and I believe the reason that grace means so little to most of, most of us today is that we don't consider ourselves to be great sinners. We don't understand the total depravity of our very being. That, God, that, that there is and dwells in our flesh nothing good. We are desperately in need of God's forgiveness. Jesus said, he who is forgiven much loves much. Do you love him this morning? Do you love the gospel? Is it wonderful news to you? No matter how many times I read verse 1 of chapter 8, do you ever get tired of hearing there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus? There's four great words here. We cannot appreciate or even understand what Paul is saying unless we recognize that we are sinners and that we have been saved only by the grace of God. That God did not look down here and say, well, there's Bobby Baker. He's such a good man. I think I'll save him. He didn't do that. What he saw was a vile wretch of a man on his way to an eternity in hell which he deserved and says, but you know what? I love him and I'm going to save him. And he says that to you as well. I, I pray that you have been saved. So we, we, we understand that, that Paul teaches here four great words about the grace of God. And the first word is that word condemnation. We have a hard time appreciating this, what this means, because a few of us, have ever, if any of us, and I'm not saying anybody here has, has ever stood in a court of law and been, and been found guilty of a, of a crime and been condemned for it. I remember years ago, I had a brother um, who was fallen into drugs and, and all of this. And, and, and I would try to talk to him and he would say to me, you know what? Leave me alone. I'm not hurting anyone but myself. And then I remember I drove my stepmom down to, he was my half brother. I drove my stepmom down to the Dallas County courthouse where he was on trial. 
and when the judge sentenced him to 15 years in prison. And my stepmom just broke down crying. And they gave me a minute to talk to my brother, and I pointed and I said, See, you weren't just hurting yourself. And he said, I mean, he was just totally distraught over the fact that he was going to spend the next 15 years in prison. And, and I thought about that, that, that most of us here, as far as I know, none of us here, know what that means to be condemned like that. And so we can have a hard time uh, appreciating this word condemnation. It's a term which here includes both the sentence and the execution of that sentence. You see, one of the things that we must understand before we can be saved is that we need to be saved. That I'm a sinner, that I have sinned against God. That I am guilty of treason against the king of the universe. And he has handed down my sentence. And the sentence was death. And then he said. But. But God. Who is rich in mercy. Most of us. Think we're basically good people. But we're not. We're not. Listen, folks, I want to tell you the only thing that separates me from an Adolf Hitler is the grace of God. And we must understand that we are not good people. Uh, the, 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 this is the word. This is what Romans 118 through 320 was talking about. About the total depravity of man. How there is no good in us. There's nothing we can do. So the first great word that we see here is that word condemnation. That God has condemned the sinner to death. But for those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. There is none. The next word is the word now. That's a wonderful word. Now. There is therefore now no condemnation. Well, what, what bring, that, that word now is a time word. It point, it's pointing to a change that has come about as a result of something. You know, I can say, you know, yesterday I had a terrible sinus headache, but now I don't. <laughs> Thanks to Aleve and the Lord. The Lord used the Aleve. But this comes as a result of, a, of the believer enter in, entering into the justification that Jesus made possible by his death. And we stood condemned to suffer eternal death for our sins. But now that has changed because of God's great grace. You see, Paul says in verse 24 of chapter 7 wretched man that I am have you ever said that have you ever felt that have you ever known that you are a filthy wretch who's going to deliver me thanks be to God through Jesus Christ and there is therefore now no condemnation but where is that no condemnation found it's only found in one place, in Christ. It's only found in Christ. 
The next word that we see is the word no. Actually, in our English translations, that word no is kind of a weak translation. It should read, not only is the Christian not in a state of condemnation now, but he will never be. He will never be. It's impossible. It's a very strong statement in the original Greek. Paul is saying, no, there is no condemnation for you now, and there will be no condemnation ever in your life. Listen, folks, we need to take a minute and think about that, because I want to tell you something. There are times in my Christian life, since God has saved me, when I have fallen into temptation, I have fallen into sin, and I step back and say, I don't understand how you let me live. But Paul says, let me tell you something. You may have fallen into that temptation. You may have fallen into that sin, but there is still now no condemnation. You know why? Because of Christ. Because of Jesus. So there is now none. The next word is that word, therefore. Uh, what is this word? You know, I heard somebody say one time, many times you see the word, therefore, you need to look and see what it's there for. This word, therefore, what does this refer to? It refers to the arguments that Paul talked about in Romans chapter 3 and chapter 5 and chapter 7, where he is, is, is showing us who we are, really are as, as condemned sinners without Christ. And, and most agree that Paul's therefore is inclusive. It's pointing back to the active argument of this entire letter. Paul says there is therefore no condemnation. It is because of God's work in Jesus Christ and because of the application of it to us by the Holy Spirit that there is now no condemnation. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Next Sunday, we're probably going to be in these same four verses. When I began to, to, to prepare this message, and my, my, my original plan was where there's no condemnation, and then we're going to talk about why there's no condemnation. Well, you're going to hear that next week, because God told me to do something different. The Lord led me as I, as I, I kept going in this direction that I kept trying not to go in while I was doing it. You know, and as a preacher, sometimes it, it takes a minute to figure out God's trying to say, hey, that's not what I want you to do. I want you to do this. All right. So what I want us to see this morning is that our salvation is because of God's work in Christ and the application of it by the Holy Spirit. But our salvation is a Trinitarian work. We see God the Father involved. We see God the Son involved. We see the Holy Spirit involved. It is God's work, not ours. Aren't you glad of that? Do you know where we would be today if we had to play a part in our salvation? Yeah, we'd be on our way to hell. And, and do you realize, folks, listen, do you realize that if my salvation is 99% Jesus and 1% me, I'm going to hell. It's all of Christ. There is no condemnation for us because of what God has done.
Not because of what I've done. Not because of what I do. Not because of what I don't do. Isn't that wonderful? That I can stand here and say, and, and, and I have had people tell me, say, you know, that's quite arrogant for you to stand there and say that you are accepted by God and you always will be. No, it's not arrogance. Because I readily admit that I had nothing to do with it. Well, I had one thing to do with it. Come on. You contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. I'll never get tired of saying that. <clears throat> but do we really believe that it's all a work of God alone? Do we really believe that? Or do we still think that in some way we contribute to our salvation? Listen, it, it, it can be a very hard thing to have someone who says and thinks in their mind, yes, I know I'm saved, but if I don't go to church, God's going to be mad at me. If I don't read my Bible, God's going to be mad at me. If I don't do this, God's not going to bless me. Listen, the Bible teaches none of that. What the Bible teaches is, I want to be in God's house with God's people, hearing God's word, because God has saved me. Because I love the Lord, and I want to please Him. And that's the only contribution that you and I make, is our sin. There's two classes of human beings. There are those who are in Christ, and those who are not. Those who have been forgiven and those who are not. Those who are lost and those who are saved. When you think about it, folks, you go out into this world and in, in this world of, of 50,000 different genders. Seriously. And I want to tell you something. You can look at every single person you look at and they are either one of two places in Christ or they're not. And in the end, that's all that's going to matter. In the end, that's all that's going to matter. It is all God's work, those who are in Christ and those who are not. But how do we get to be in Christ? Do we earn it? Is it by faith? No, it's not. It's by Christ. It's by faith in Christ that we are saved. Now, I say that because a lot of people put faith in their faith. But we are saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, by believing in what He has done. Uh, if you are in Christ, it is because of God's work in joining you to Christ. It is God who takes the initiative. It is God who does the work. It is God who calls us. We see the, Trinitary, uh, the Trinity at work in our salvation. There is no condemnation for those who have been joined to Jesus Christ by God the Father through the instrumentality of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know people who don't believe in the Trinity. They believe that... Uh, Jesus is a created being. They believe the Holy Spirit is just a force. That God the Father is the only God there is. But I want to tell you something, folks. If that's true, we cannot be saved. It is God the Father applying to us the work of Jesus Christ through the, the, the instrumentality of the Holy Spirit. 
and, and, and look in verses 2 and 3. Look at verse 2. Paul says, For the Spirit of life has set you free from Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You see, Paul says, for, for, in order that. Those words uh, there in verses 2 and 3 uh, where he says, for, those words could be translated because. And there in verse 4 where he says, in order that, we could be translated so that. So, so, so look at this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Because God did what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit." Again, isn't that wonderful? That should drive us to our knees in worship for God. We see each person of the Godhead is involved. God the Father sent Jesus in the likeness of sinful flesh. And that word likeness is very important. God sent Jesus in the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus came into this world, the incarnation. He was born into this world. He became a man, no more, no less a man than I am. Only without sin. He was born of a virgin. That's why the virgin birth is so important. But God the Father sent Jesus in the likeness of sinful flesh. He sent Jesus to die in our place and to bear the wrath of God. Listen, folks, every year, we're getting close to that time of year where uh, you're going to see these nativity scenes everywhere. And I want to tell you, folks, that what uh, that first Christmas morning, what we call Christmas morning, when that baby was born and Mary was there in that dirty, filthy manger holding that child, there was a shadow of a cross across his face. Because that's why he came. Jesus said, I am come to save those who are lost. I have come to save sinners. So we understand that, G, that God the Father, and, and, and there are many people today who want to point blame at who crucified Jesus. Was it the Romans? No. And I have had many say, no, it was me that crucified Jesus. No, it wasn't. Isaiah 53 plainly tells us that it was God the Father who crucified Jesus. Now, can you imagine that? Can you imagine this, this, this myriad of angels in heaven as they are watching as the Son of God, God in the flesh, is taken, He's arrested, His beard's pulled out, He's mocked, the crown of thorns is placed, He's slapped, He's punched, and he's taken, he's beaten within an inch of his life. And then he's crucified on a cross for six hours. And I can imagine these angels, they're looking at the throne saying, what's he going to do about this? You know, the Bible says that salvation is something the angels desire to look into. 
You know, I, 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 I've read that verse and I'm thinking, you know, that it's almost like the angels cannot understand how God the Father could do that to His Son for people like us. But God sent His Son. This was His work. And He says, Son, they need to be saved and they can only do it if you go. They can only do it. And He sent His Son to die for us, to bear His wrath. And, and you know why Paul can say there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus? It's because all of that condemnation was paid for at the cross. There's none left for us. There's none left. So God the Father, we see, we see God the Son who made propitiation for our sins. Jesus did a work of redemption. There in verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And he said, I have also come to set you free. And if the Son sets you free, guess what? You are free indeed. And Paul says here that the law of the spirit of life has set you free where? In Christ. From the law of sin and death. We were once slaves to sin and death, but Jesus has set us free. Listen, we need to understand the, 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 the picture here. The picture here is, is of human beings up on the auction block. Being auctioned off in the slave auction. I'm reminded of a story I heard one time about this man who went to a, a slave auction back in the early 1800s. And there was a young black lady up on the auction block being auctioned as a slave. And as he looked at her, he said, I'm going to buy that slave. And so he purchased her as a slave, and they bring her to her. She's in shackles, and he says, take the shackles off. And they said, well, she'll run away. He said, she's my property. Take the shackles off. And they took the shackles off, and he looked at the young lady, and he said, you're free. I purchased you to set you free. And that young lady served Abraham Lincoln till the day he died. But you see, she served him out of gratitude because of what he'd done. Now you understand why? That you and I were on a greater auction block. We were slaves to sin and slaves to death. And Christ came and he has purchased us. He has broken the chains and our only thing to do is to present ourselves a living sacrifice and worship Him and serve Him. Jesus did the work of redemption. God the Holy Spirit has joined us to Christ so that we become beneficiaries of all that Christ has done. By joining us to Christ, the Holy Spirit seals our salvation and makes possible the declaration of Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation because the spirit in, in read Ephesians chapter one, where Paul there, he talks about how the Holy Spirit has been given to us as our guarantee, 
our guarantee. Philippians 1 and verse 6. Paul says, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it. Why? Because we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And so we see here that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit were active in our salvation and bringing us to the place where we are today. It's all the work of God. All of it. All of it. Turn with me to John chapter 10. <clears throat> John chapter 10, beginning with verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they will, say it with me, never perish. And no one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And I and the Father are one. Now, do you hear what Jesus said? Jesus said exactly right there what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. He says, my sheep hear my voice. But notice, they're his sheep. And by the way, now we will get into this later in chapter 9, but I, I got to point it out here. Do you know how a sheep becomes a sheep? It's born that way. Goats don't become sheep. Sheep don't become goats. If you're a sheep, you were born a sheep from the very beginning. Okay? Now, those of you who don't know where I'm going with that, wait till we get to chapter 9, and I'll tell you. <laughs> Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will ever take them out of my hand. Paul teaches that there is now no condemnation because of the Father's work, because of the Son's work, and because of the work of the Holy Spirit. This is a great doctrine for those of us who are in Christ. But listen, folks, it is only for those who are in Christ. I can tell you that you can go to church all across America today. And you can walk up to every person in that church, every church member, and say to them, are you a Christian? Are you saved? And they'll say, yes, I'm saved. You can go to your next door neighbor at home and say, are you a Christian? And they will probably say yes. Rarely do you get anybody who says, oh, no, I'm not a Christian. I don't want to be a Christian. There are those who say, I remember as a three-year-old in vacation Bible school, and the preacher said, you want to be saved? Raise your hand. I raised my hand, so I guess I'm saved. I remember one time the preacher said, walk down this aisle, shake my hand, say this prayer, and let me baptize you, and that makes you saved. No, it doesn't. And I would say to every person, you know, I believe that the hardest person to reach with the gospel is the one who believes they're saved when they're truly not. But I want to tell you something, folks. There are many, many church members today all across our country that are sitting in a church 
They have no desire to be holy. They have no hunger for God. And they believe they're saved. And I want to tell you they're not. And this verse that Paul, as wonderful as this verse is, you know, there are many who claim that the greatest verse and the greatest chapter in the greatest book of the Bible is Romans 8, 28. For we know that all things work together for good to those who are called of God. To those who are called according to his purpose. But I want to tell you something. That is not the greatest verse of the greatest chapter of the greatest book of the Bible to somebody who is not saved. Because all your things are not working towards your good. They're working towards your destruction. As one of the Puritans used to say, if God is not glorified in your salvation, he will be glorified in your destruction. You know, I, I was reading a book by one of the Puritans the other day, and his name escapes me at the minute, but he, he, he made a statement in this book that I had to stop and read it two or three times. And I thought about how true this is. That one day, there will be countless millions who will walk into hell to the hallelujahs of those in heaven. Now you think about that. That one day, those of us who were saved, we will be cheering those on into hell. Because that's what they deserve. Because they rejected Christ. They had, no, they had no need of him. And they died in their sins rather than in Christ. This is a great doctrine for us, but it is only for those who are in him. Are you in Christ? Make sure you are in Christ. If you're not sure, give this matter no rest until the Holy Spirit himself plants in your hearts the assurance that you are truly in Christ. If there is no condemnation for you, it is only because of Christ. Okay? I cannot stress this enough. I cannot say this enough. We can never get the idea. We must completely put away the idea that there is no condemnation for me because of anything I do or don't do. It is all because of what Christ has done. That's Paul's point. That's the point of the gospel. You know, we, we have made the gospel about us. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Christ. You know, as, as Reformed Christians, we adhere to the five solas. Faith alone. Through grace, grace alone. Through faith alone. In Christ alone. According to the scripture alone. For what purpose? To the glory of God alone. There's a reason that's the last one. To the glory of God alone. And that can, and, and Paul, he, everything he says here in these first four verses, he's pointing to Christ. He never one time points at me or himself. As a matter of fact, he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to save me from this? Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. And because of him, there's no condemnation. Let's pray. Father, 
Lord, we are so thankful to you this morning. Thank you, Father, for the salvation that you have provided for us in Christ. Father, I pray that every one of us here recognizes this morning that we are undeserving of your kindness, undeserving of your mercy or your grace. And Father, that we are saved not because of who we are, but because of who you are. We thank you, Father, that we can come to Christ and have all our sins forgiven. We thank you that Jesus came and bore your wrath and that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Lord, draw those to you this morning that are yours. I pray that they might come this morning and re receive Christ, believe on him and be saved. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that all the glory will be yours. And forgive us any time we begin to think that this whole thing is about us in any kind of way. We give you glory now and we worship you in Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand, turn to page three.